going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, this is another edition of the Going Deep Podcast, and on this edition, we go deep on all things LeBron James through the eyes of Joe Varden, senior NBA writer, but also the mind behind A King's Reign. It is a multi-part series on LeBron James with audio storytelling from Joe Varden himself, and as well as his athletic colleagues going through LeBron James's rise from a high school phenom to arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. Talking to people who knew him, people who helped raise him, who people who coached him. My favorite episode thus far is the one with Eric Spolstra where he breaks down the beautiful mind that is LeBron James. But where did this concept come from? And how did Joe Varden manage to sneak this in before he headed to the Philippines to cover a team LeBron is not on, USA Basketball, which he's doing throughout the rest of the summer as he will be reporting on the FIBA World Championships. We will catch up with him hopefully in the future as Canada looks to qualify to the Olympics via the World Championships. But now it's all about the GOAT qualifications of LeBron James and the audio storytelling masterpiece that is King's Reign. Let's go deep and listen to and learn from Joe Varden. So, Joe, take me back to the beginning of this project, the thought of taking on a narrative podcast about LeBron's life and career and legacy and do it now specifically. What's the genesis behind why The Athletic tackled the subject matter? Well, I think there were a few uh, different um, dynamics at play here. One is, is LeBron. I mean, he was entering his 20th year which is rare. Uh, I think the average NBA career is something like four years, something like that. Um, so he's entering his 20th year at the time. This was, you know, uh, early last season. And then uh, he was going to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. So you, right there you have two news hooks uh, to, that, that are compelling to want to dive into his career in depth like we were able to do. The second thing is just from a business standpoint, The Athletic has done pretty well with these kinds of projects. We've done one with Andrew Luck and uh, a podcast explaining why he quit football at the age that he did. Uh, since then, I think a week before we launched this uh, King's Reign, the, the, our football team did another one on uh, signal callers, play callers in, in the NFL, uh, so offensive coordinators, which is pretty cool. And so, you know, the, the and I guess the third thing combining these two is it's something that the athletic does well. We have the talent and the resources to do it. And then with a, with a figure like LeBron, who has been such a dominant force in the NBA and in pop culture for really the entire 20 years of his career, I don't know how much more can be written about this guy. I think every kind of story that you could write 
has been written. And so how do you tell a story about about him in a different way? And this idea of a documentary podcast was the way to do it. Like we were able to reach out and and find so many willing partners, people who have been close to him throughout his whole life, whether uh, as a childhood friend or coaches or former teammates, um, all who who have witnessed the things that we know he did, but in their proximity to him and at that point in time in his life, we're able to see things that maybe don't come across in written stories or written reports, something that, that is much easier to tell if you're sitting down face-to-face and just talking about it. And so with all those things put together, we were able to, to, to come up with, with the King's Reign and, and build out a, a number of episodes that we're very proud of. It's not often when you're going through a project like this and you're endeavoring to do this level of storytelling that you have access to people who have covered that athlete literally from the, the beginning. Uh, when you looked at LeBron's career in high school to obviously the NBA and how not only he has changed, but how sport has changed, how our jobs has, have changed, what stands out to you about you know, that longevity uh, in the, the person and the player that you've been documenting for so long? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, there are, <laughs> you know, it's a different world, uh, obviously. And I mean, he has been a constant, as I said, like he's been a constant as a face of the NBA and a, and a force in, in, in just popular culture and part of the, the general public discussion as, as the world has, has changed around us. I mean, as far as, and I can make this personal too, um, you know, LeBron and I were born in the same hospital in Akron, Ohio. I'm four years older than him. And we grew up in totally different socioeconomic situations. But after I was born, you know, my first seven years, I lived in a, in a neighborhood in Akron proper. And he when he was born, one of the first places he and his mother lived uh, was with her either mother or grandmother, I think grandmother, and she lived on the street that my family lived on. So there was actually a time where LeBron and I as children lived on the same street. And then we moved to the suburbs and, you know, I lived a very, uh, you know, fortunate um, childhood, you know, with, uh, you know, access to everything. And and, then he grew up the way he did, which is pretty much the, the polar opposite. Um, but then he becomes a teenager and he gets into St. Vincent, St. Mary's and, um, and I'm working in for the Akron Beacon Journal in college well, while I'm in college as a, uh, as a part-timer. And so I had the opportunity to cover some of his games. And so I remember, you know, he was just becoming a star at that time and the, the Sports Illustrated cover was coming and, and the games had moved from St. Vincent St. Mary's gym to the University of Akron. And, <clears throat> you know, there were times where like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant would come to his games when the Lakers were in town. And I was there for that as uh, as a reporter who was just learning and didn't know anything. 
uh, I didn't know anything about how to do the job and, and, and what all this would be like. And I just, you know, remember being at those games and, and writing those stories. And then he becomes this global sensation and he is, you know, he's the number one pick in the draft and the Cavaliers earn the right to get him. And this place where we both grew up that, that had been, uh, you know, such a hard luck sports community for both of our entire lives. It was all about the change. And at that point I was working for a chain of, of small newspapers in Northeast Ohio now as a full-timer and is the only person assigned to covering these Cleveland sports. So, you know, I was actually there with him at the beginning and, you know, it wasn't like, you know, in those days you had uh, a traveling beat writer from the Cleveland Plain Dealer and a traveling beat writer from the Akron Beacon Journal and, and then actually from a third paper and maybe even a fourth. And that wasn't me. I wasn't able to travel in those days because of where I worked most of the time. Um, so I don't know that he remembers that I was there at the beginning, but I was. I, I was there on draft night. I was there for his first ever game and and for all the home games those first couple years, even a couple of the road ones. And then as our lives sort of sort of, you know, go down their different paths, like I, I start to get better jobs and 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 move out of Cleveland to go to to larger newspapers and and he gets the Cavs to the finals and and then has those couple near misses the couple years after and then he leaves for Miami. Um, and then, you know, four years later, at the same time, I was ready. At this point, I was covering politics in Columbus at the Columbus Dispatch, which which was a, a swing state in the in the country as far as presidential elections were concerned. Um, had been through that and had, was tired of it and wanted to get back into sports. And, and I had just had a regular interview lined up at the Cleveland Plain Dealer because their Cavaliers writer had had retired. They didn't have one, but so what? The, you know, the Cavs had stunk for years and and waning in interest and and so there was a an interview that we had set up um it, I think uh in July of that of 2014 and um 5 days before I was supposed to interview there LeBron announces that he's coming back to Cleveland. And our lives kind of collide again. And, and now what, what happens is he's coming back with all, you know, all the fame and all the notoriety. And I become one of the first and only sports writers in American journalism history to be hired to cover a singular athlete in a team sport. But that was the job. I was hired by the plane dealer in Cleveland.com not to cover the Cavs, but to cover him. And so you know, our lives kind of, we were kind of uh, parallel <laughs> from that point over the next four or five years. You know, I, I covered him every step of the way, all four of those finals as he, uh, as he, and then of course the 2016 championship after that championship year, um, my partner on that beat uh, on the, the Cavs team coverage, as we said in those days, Chris Haynes had moved on. And so I just took over the gen as general Cavs writer, and we didn't have another LeBron guy. So we stayed together, and, and then when he left for the Lakers, um, the Athletic hired me with the idea of, uh, of as long as I could prove that I could still do it, uh, but just on a bigger scale, like write these LeBron stories, like they quickly promoted me to national writer. And 
and here we are. So I, I don't know if you were looking for a personal answer there, but but when you that's kind of the way it hit me, your question. It's just that um in ways that were tangential and then ways that were very personal, LeBron and I have our lives and our careers have sort of weaved in and out of contact over the better part of, of almost four decades now. And, and, um, you know, this podcast is just the latest thing. That's true for you know other journalists as well. It's not unique to you in some form. I love the fact though, that you covered politics because, at some point, there was a switch, at least a public-facing switch, where LeBron went from apolitical to somewhat political, or at least social rights forward thinking. What do you make of that transition, and why do you think it occurred? Well, it goes back to uh, 2012 with the Trayvon Martin, um, whatever word you, you use for what happened. Uh, tragedy is certainly one. Um, of 2012 and and the Miami Heat as a team, you know, it's something that they wanted to protest and they wanted to take action on. And so they, they came out uh, as a team posing in, in black hoodies pulled over their over their heads to signify like what Trayvon Martin was wearing um, the day that, you know, that, that he was killed. And that wasn't LeBron's idea uh, to do that. It was, it was, I believe it was actually Ray Allen's. But LeBron was already the face of the league at that point, and certainly the face of the Heat. And so he was, the fact that he was involved in this, that kind of, it, it elevated the entire ordeal. And as you know, in the United States, things didn't get better after that. It got worse. And, and the same type of thing was happening over and over again. And, and each one was very um, public. Uh, and, 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 um, and, and as LeBron continued to grow in stature and sort of realized responsibility isn't quite the right word, but, but he, he felt a responsibility with, in the position that he was in, uh, in the social sphere. Um, to continue to lend his voice to, to sort of these causes. And so he gets back to Cleveland uh, in 2014 and, and this is happening. You know, there's an incident in Missouri, there's an incident in, in New York and, um, and, and he leads these protests and he speaks out about them. And he, you know, at the same time, he, he, he had changed the mission of his his charitable organization to um, address basically reading rates among you know kids that grew up like he did in Akron, which turned into him creating a school for 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 kids who are at at um, risk of not graduating, and all of that is a form of act activism. And and just so basically to answer your question, it's like this one thing happened in 2012. He realized. Um, sort of his place in the world when it comes to, to, to social justice and, and the impact that he could have. Uh, he certainly idolized Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jim Brown and, and you know, sort of the, the lions from the, the 1960s in, in terms of athletes as, um, as freedom fighters. And, and he's the next one. He's the bridge. 
and he he re- recognized that in 2012 and 13 and 14 and then when the opportunities began to arise after that he took it and and ran with it and he is certainly um the next great athlete to take up those causes the way that they did it uh in the 40s 50s and 60s to me the most remarkable thing about his career and story is given how young he was given the era that we're in, given how long he's been a public figure, it is largely without scandal. I remember w- when I was uh, you know, around the same age as him in high school, the big scandal was the fact that he had a Hummer in high school. Like that was a big deal that led Sports Center. But between the decision, which I think people forget, he raised a lot of money for charity and he got you know free time on ESPN, which a lot of people would have taken. And between some people, you know, in in more recent years being not happy with his response to Daryl Morey in relation to what was going on in China, by and large, he has not really put a foot wrong publicly. How do you put that in context, given the fact that uh, he, he really had to learn it, he and the his friends that have been around him? Had to learn it on the fly. Well, I think I would I would want to start out by saying that there is a difference between I think your overall point, which I agree with everything that you said. I think and you put it very well, but there's a difference between your overall point of him not making a mistake or very few mistakes, uh, despite being in the public light as long as he has. With the couple of things that you mentioned that he was criticized for, especially the last one um, with the Daryl Morey and the China stuff. And the, 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 the point I want to make is when you wade as deeply into politics as LeBron has, you open yourself up to a level of criticism that most athletes just don't face because they don't get involved that way. Like when you get into the political sphere, 47 to 51% of the country are going to disagree with what you said. And in LeBron's case, like he has been very outward um, as a supporter of the Democratic ticket. Uh, He campaigned for both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He has been highly critical of Donald Trump. And so that just opens him, him, that opens him to a whole side of of people who are just waiting to pounce on something. And so we get this China situation in 2019. Uh, you know, Mori sends out this tweet in in support of Hong, Hong Kong protesters. And what people forget is that the tweet was sent while LeBron was on a plane with the Los Angeles Lakers headed to Shanghai. They were on their way to China. They're just going there to play basketball. They have no idea that Daryl has this on his mind. But once that tweet is sent and the Chinese government sees it and they become upset through no fault of their own, the Lakers and the Nets are now trapped, basically, in the team hotel in China for a week. Uh, They can't go out. And most of their events are canceled. And there was talk of even canceling the, the, the exhibition games. And so LeBron was in the middle of all this and he gets home and it's the Lakers first day back, their first game back at state at then Staples Center since all this happened. 
and he gets asked about Maury. And he, yes, he says some things that sound not only critical of Daryl, um, but seem to be like, you know, uh, uh, like it's almost it was almost like an admonishment for uh, applying what seemed to be, you know, American values to a political situation somewhere else in the world. And so now, you know, you have an entire section of people on one side of the political aisle who see this as, yes, finally, LeBron has made a mistake. We are going to jump all over him for it. And that is exactly what happened. But then what was also strange is there were uh, a smaller segment of people, but still a segment who would otherwise agree with LeBron politically, um, but were highly turned off by what he said, because (laughs) it seemed to be um, sort of running against the current of like human rights, uh, which is what all the Hong Kong, the the Hong Kong situation was uh, as far as Daryl was concerned. And so that kind of got him in trouble on both sides. The, The only other part I would add for LeBron in that particular point would be he had significant business interests in China as did the NBA and the NBA lost, you know, uh, I mean, they they had a billion plus dollars at stake in China at the time and they lost half of it over this whole thing. And LeBron not only sells a lot of shoes uh, in China, but he had a movie coming out that he had staked a lot too. And a lot of it was contingent upon it being able to show in movie theaters in China where he's a big star. And, um, so he had his own business interests. He wouldn't be the first one um, to 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 be thinking about his business interests in something like this. Um, so it 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 turned out to be a messy situation for sure. Um, a blip on an otherwise pretty good you know record is of activism, as as we know. But I just wanted to explain the context of it. The bigger question that you asked uh, just about like overall avoiding this, you know, because I went so long on the first answer, I would just say that there has been no one like him um, who's been able to navigate being as a star as big as this in the age of social media and being able to avoid the pitfalls that 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 get to a lot of these athletes. He's just he's just been stellar about it. He has surrounded himself with the right people uh, maybe since high school, maybe like the Hummer situation and the ways he got himself in trouble then taught him a lesson. I believe that Nike helped him early on, uh, helped him understand the value of having the right people around him. And um, he's been brilliant and, and a role model for any NBA player that wants to follow in the footsteps of being a star in this day and age. What's his relationship with Cleveland, or I suppose I should say what Cleveland's relationship with him? He makes a point to say he is from Akron. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I was a star at his level early in my career and a team refused to trade J.J. Hickson to get me help, I think I would have been out of there at that point. Uh, I certainly know for a fact that if you know Daniel Snyder uh, wrote a, a, a you know, dismissive letter about me I would never play for that franchise again (laughs) yet when he was in Miami I remember that I was like everybody else trying to track where Daniel Snyder's plane was uh, with him going back to Cleveland what is his relationship like with the organization uh, the city um, and and those chapters of his life 
Well, I, I think that he is forever cemented as the greatest a- athlete um, that Cleveland has has ever been able to call I- its own. And that I think the the hard feelings of the decision uh, are almost entirely forgotten um, and very few hard feelings over his going to the Lakers because of what he did and what he gave when he came back. You know, it wasn't just winning in 2016, although that is that would be enough, I think, in the minds of a lot of people. But it was those four years he gave everything that he had uh, and made sure that this organization went to four consecutive finals, including that last year when they weren't very good. They were not a very good team. And um, he was upset uh, with with some of the roster decisions that had been made and also had, you know, an eye and a half on LA already. And it would have been easy for him with his legacy already cemented to just kind of accept the fate of, of a team that was going to fall short, but he didn't do that. And he gave Cleveland yet one more spring and summer of memories in that improbable run to the finals in 2018. So, um, I think that I think you you consider what he's done in the city of Akron with that school. Um, I think those are the things that that largely uh, erase any of the the previous bad feelings. You know, you mentioned his relationship with Dan Gilbert, um, and it it is complicated. And and there were hard feelings that remained after LeBron agreed to come back. Um, LeBron was constantly, you know not trusting of Dan and Dan's motives uh, when when he returned and the the way that LeBron did his contracts here in Cleveland for the first two seasons, basically just taking one-year deals, was done specifically to apply pressure uh, on a front office because of Dan Gilbert that he just did not trust. Um, and so I think now, you know, I mean, Dan obviously has had some very serious health problems um, and, and I don't know, I, I think the two men would be grateful, uh, to each other for what they were able to accomplish together. I think that would be about the extent of it, but LeBron, the, the place that LeBron has in his heart for Cleveland and the Cavaliers now is, 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 is big and it's soft and there's always affection. You know, I remember when the all-star game was here, I guess it was in 22, um, he got just a, a rousing, ridiculous standing ovation uh, multiple times from the fans here. And, and, and he still gets it when the Lakers come back and they still stop the game and they still show highlight videos commemorating his time, which when they did that this season, I actually thought it was outside sort of the, the realm where that's okay. Like it's not necessary anymore. And they still do it because of the mutual um, uh, admiration that, that, that exists between organization and fans and this one player. You mentioned the one-year contracts and him being the modern-day father of the player empowerment area, era where you are smart about what you do, you use your leverage as an athlete. Um, and now I wonder if the pendulum has, has swung maybe too far, even though generally I'm uh, in lockstep with 
players because I too am an employee, not an employer. The influence that he had on other players to understand what the cap was doing, to understand um, their value. How intentional do you think he was around spreading that gospel to the other players at this time? Well, I don't think he got into the business of whether it was empowering a friend to become uh, um, the super agent that he is in Rich Paul or in wielding power over the Cavs the way that he did for his entire second tenure here. I don't think he did all that so that other players would follow. But I think they quickly knew that they were they were setting the template for how you do this. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that he has always surrounded himself with the right people. I mean, you look at him and you look at his friends and what they have done with the opportunities that he has presented them. They have taken them and run. You know, Rich Paul is shrewd and he's smart, you know, and he deserves a lot of credit for helping craft the strategy that that LeBron was able to uh, employ and that and that so many players have followed since, including others of, of Rich's clients who are not LeBron. You look at Maverick Carter and what he's done, um, you know, he was supposed to be the, the overseer of, of all LeBron's various business ventures, but he, he ended up really focusing on the Hollywood component. And Maverick is a legitimate player in media no doubt um and that is on their own you know so so lebron has sent this has set this template he as you mentioned he is the founding father of um the the player empowerment movement um but it it's the people around him who have sort of helped pave the way for this you know there are other players now who have huge business ventures um, and people who work with them, who take advantage of these opportunities, you know, but it all started with LeBron and, and, and sort of, you know, you could say, well, wait a minute, Michael Jordan and Nike and, and everything that happened there. And that's true. But, but Michael did not empower others and did not what other players were not able to sort of, you know, copy and and sort of follow in the way that they have been able to follow what LeBron has done. He is, he's the one who more, more kind of created and set a blueprint for the way others have been able to do it. You mentioned his friends. I loved listening to the series of coach K calling LeBron his friend and waxing poetic about how smart LeBron is. This is someone who is on the campus of Duke for most of his adult <laughs> life, talking to people who all by definition are smart and he finds LeBron so smart, but two people who outside of basketball, you'd never find them, you know, in the, in the same circles, uh, give, unless they were maybe at Michael Rubin's party. But it, it was a real interesting thing you did in this series of having these pinnacle people in LeBron's life give you their perspective on him. Is there one story, one anecdote, one thing you learned from one of those people in the series that really reframed how you thought about LeBron? No, there is not. There is not anything that I heard that that reframed the way I thought of him because of how much time I've spent learning about him. Um, 
I will tell you that there is an episode that has not come out as far in, in terms of or in related to our conversation. It hasn't aired yet. Where Channing Fry shares a story of the 2016 title run that I didn't know. And there have been books written about this team, that team. And I was there for every step of the way and still talked to everybody that was involved in it. And I didn't know this. Um, and so that was one of my favorite parts of the series. But hearing someone like Coach K, a legend, um, speak with the reverence and respect of LeBron and sort of the admiration of the same things that I always, you know, admired in LeBron. And I'm not special. <laughs> I'm not a legend. Um, but if I saw these things in my workings with LeBron and then somebody like Coach K saw so many of the same things about his intelligence and his per his perception, um, his ability to adapt, you know, his uh, sort of what makes him tick, um, the fact that, that Coach K saw those things was a really gratifying moment for me. And certainly, and to just, I mean, I don't mind telling your listeners, it was one of the best and most and most uh, favored interviews of my career. Um, and I've been doing this 20 plus years. It was just, uh, that was a remarkable um, sit down. And, and I'm glad that you that you enjoyed it because I, I know I did and I, and I hope other listeners did as well. Lastly on LeBron, What's his legacy? You know, he's often compared to Jordan, and I think if you ask you know, anyone walking down the street, what's Jordan's legacy? I think we all know what they're probably going to talk about is, you know, game-winning shot versus Utah, his ownership, and how that went well financially, not well on the court. You know, his shoes and the brand. I think if you ask you know ten people about LeBron and his legacy, I think you might get ten different answers. For you, what's the legacy? What's the one thing about him that? It sticks out to you. Well, there are many things that stick out to me. I, but I think I think the legacy is right now is that he is arguably the greatest ever. If you're the second best player ever, then you are arguably the greatest ever. There's an argument to be made that you are. And, you know, we did at the athletic the last couple of years, we we've done um, player polls and the the in the last one that we did when we asked uh, who is the greatest player of all time, 37% of active players said LeBron. That number is way up from the first time we asked that question. So as he continues to sort of put these finishing touches on his career and as his school continues to grow and as like sort of his, his business footprint expands, um, you know, he's already the all-time leading scorer. He's going to finish as the third all-time guy in assists, I think, second or third. Um, you know, he's he's got four titles now. A fifth is certainly not out of the question. As these things continue to happen, the case will make itself that he, whether or not he is a is better than Michael, that he had the best career ever, all things considered. Regular season, playoffs, postseason, off the floor, social justice, how you, um, how he carried himself in the face of social media, all those things. Um, I think you added up, and to me, he's had the greatest, the greatest career ever. I know I'm still in the minority on that, but 
as time goes on, I think that that there will be a stronger argument for it, and and that is his legacy. It's literally that high, arguably the greatest ever. Before I let you go, I want to get your perspective on one more thing because in Canada, our, our audience uh, is Canadian basketball fans. And there's two things that they constantly do and want. It's one to stress and fret about the current state of the Raptors, and <laughs> two to find out what Americans think about the current state of the Raptors. So, so I'll ask you, because right now they have more optimism over the Canadian national basketball team than they do uh, the only team in the nation professionally, the Raptors. Um, well, what do you make of their off season and, and you know, upcoming season outlook and, and, and how they got to the place they're in post their championship in, in 2019? Well, one of my jobs at the athletic is I am our, um, I cover all the international tournaments. Uh, so I'm, I will be on the ground in the Philippines this summer for the world cup, uh, primarily covering team USA, of course. However, uh, I think team Canada is loaded and I think you guys are going to love Jordy Fernandez. Uh, he's got not one ounce of Canadian in him, uh, but that's all right. He, uh, he's a great choice to, to coach that team. But Nick Nurse was a great choice, and that split was caused by, of course, his departure from the Raptors, and I think that's where we get into this discussion. The Raptors had a window. They made the most of it. They won. They went all in with Kawhi, and they won it. Uh, I praise them for that. Um, They had horrendous luck the next two years that sort of cost them a chance for anything better, and I thought they performed above where they should have considering who they lost and Kawhi Leonard departing. Um, but it, it, it feels like they're slipping in t- towards a rebuild. And I guess the way that you, that you consider the alternative is just Masai is somebody who can, who stars gravitate towards. He's not afraid to take a big swing. So you think, the Raptors are kind of headed towards a rebuild. You wonder how long, you know, Van Vliet's gone. You wonder who's next. Uh, they didn't trade any other pieces yet, big-time pieces, I mean. Um, but, you know, I, I never discount what Masai Ujiri and, and Bobby Webster, like what, what they have up their sleeve. So um, I don't think of the Raptors right now as an Easter com- Conference favorite in a very tough conference. I uh, don't have, you know... I don't have like high hopes for them right now, but I, I just refuse to discount their front office. So new coach, uh, sad to see the nurse era end there, but it was a great time. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see what's next. We'll definitely see what's next with, uh, King's reign, uh, enjoy hopefully some downtime in what is a bit of a quieter stretch in the uh, basketball world before you get to the world championships. Um, and, and hopefully if Canada does well, uh, we'll bother you to break that down uh, as well. Thank you so much, Joe. I'd be happy to do that. Thank you. Thanks so much to Joe Varden. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Varden. You can find the King's Reign via The Athletic or via their podcast stream, The Athletic NBA Show. So be sure to subscribe to that if you aren't already. And be sure, if you aren't already, to subscribe to this. We appreciate a like, a favorite, a share, five stars, and a comment. We hopefully will be catching up with Joe Varden, as I mentioned, as he's covering Team USA and the FIBA World Championships at large. We definitely will be catching up with those covering Team Canada as they look to punch their ticket to Paris 
in 2024. But lots of important basketball to be played in 2023. Thank you so much for listening. On behalf of show, who once again did an amazing job producing, I'm Donovan Bennett. Take care.